Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. This week we're talking about climate change. So last week I went to an event called Climate Conversations where experts got together to have respectful dialogue about climate change. Respectful dialogue, climate change, yes, all those things really can coexist. And, and uh, we're going to talk about how that's even possible, even amidst our often hostile political climate. And we're going to talk about, you know, political climate as well as Earth's climate. So here's an example of a hostile political climate. So Jason Chaffetz, a member of the House of Representatives for Utah, held a town hall meeting. He opened up the audience to questions and he got this elementary school girl to uh, confront him on the issue of climate change. Check this out. What are you doing to help protect our water and air for our generations and my kids' generations? Do you believe in science? Do you believe in science? Because I do. This, of course, got a huge, huge applause because uh, many people in the audience weren't convinced that this Utah Republican even believed in climate change. So this girl believes in science. I think I know where her family gets their political opinions. I mean, obviously, her family is highly, highly influenced by an influential person named Esculeto, who famously said, I believe in science. And sometimes those who oppose people who believe in science may sound like this. I'm not listening to you. You only believe in science. That's probably why we never win. We never win because you are fat. So so a talk about climate change may get a little heated at times because positions are so stinking polarized. So, so let's uh, see how Representative Jason Chaffetz handled this girl's question about clean air, clean water, and believing in science. What is thrown into our air, what is thrown into our water, obviously has an effect on, on our environment. We have a major problem here, particularly Salt Lake Valley, with the emergency, okay? We can't, we have to, we have to make sure, we have to make sure that we're being responsible. You have a different approach to how I do that than I do, okay? I, I do support an all-of-the-above energy strategy, and I do think coal is an important part of that. So I think Representative Chaffetz handled this pretty well, but, but critics say that he failed to to openly say that he believes in climate change. But he did, you know point out things that people on both sides actually agree on. Clean air, clean water. I mean, those those were issues that that uh, everybody agrees must be addressed. But, you know, but, but this audience didn't really respond very well, um, especially when he brought up, uh, you know, including the all-above energy plan uh, that includes uh, coal. <laughs> yeah, they really tore him apart for that. So this was a pretty hostile environment. And some reports make it sound like there pretty much was a planned protest at this town hall. So I'm not sure if this really represents, you know, what his constituents look like. Um, And I'd be surprised 
if you know a majority of the people there were actually uh, were part of his constituent constituency. So, and, and if you listen to the whole town hall thing, you'd see what I mean. I mean, he continuously gets cut off by angry protesters. Basically, a protest just showed up at his town hall. So, I, you know, American free speech—that's fantastic. Uh, but don't you think this is a little too toxic of an environment when, you know, Representative Chaffetz can't even talk? So this is a good example of what I would call political climate change. You know, where the dialogue over political matters is so polarized and toxic that it's really hard to breathe. or Well, especially to hear the other side's views. We'll talk more on this later. So when it comes to climate change, Democrats and Republicans definitely don't agree on how important of an issue it is. I mean, here's a memorable example from uh, when old, when good old uh, Mitt Romney was running against Barack Obama. Remember this? President Obama promised to begin to slow the rise of the oceans. And to heal the planet. My promise is to help you and your family. So let's talk about climate change. I went to an event called Climate Conversations held in Salt Lake City. The entire goal of this event was to have a respectful dialogue about the Earth's climate. We had a panel of experts from diverse fields addressing some questions about climate change. Question number one, what is your position on climate change? So we first heard from Dr. Lara Nelson, and she is the energy policy advisor for Utah Governor Gary Herbert. Here's what she had to say. If I had to characterize my position, what I would say is that um, we do manipulate and change our environment. And in doing so, there are risks uh, that we may alter things um, that could lead to uncomfortable outcomes. So let's do our best uh, to manage those risks, but in the context of making sure that we continue to take into consideration the human condition and providing the things that are really important to the quality of life that we enjoy. So that's, in my mind, the environment, energy, and I do support all forms of energy, uh, as part of that uh, equation. You can, you can see that, like, you know, Representative Chaffetz, she supported the, you know, quote-unquote, all-above energy approach, which isn't completely anti-coal. And, you know, Jason Chaffetz kind of got torn apart for that. Then we have Dr. Robert Davies. is a professor at Utah State um, University in the Departments of Plants, Soils, and Climate. He's also been a technical liaison for NASA's International Space Station. Wow, cool. Doing climate stuff for, for uh, the space station? That'd be kind of cool. I, I should have talked to him a little bit more, see if I could get a job as an astronaut. Anyway, um, here's what he had to say. I'll just take the position that, uh, of what I would say the science is telling us about this uh, in a very loud voice. Uh, endorsed by every National Academy of Science in the world and all of the relevant scientific organizations. Uh, really four points, I guess. The planet is warming. Humans are driving that warming principally from 
uh, the emission of greenhouse gases. But this change in this warming is driving changes in the entire planetary climate system. Uh, and those changes, if we progress, carry with them enormous risks for humans and human society and human ecosystem. So he basically states that any bona fide science organization overwhelmingly agrees that climate change is not only real, but a serious issue with significant impact on society, and that it is, in fact, human-caused. Then we have Joan Blades, who's an attorney and a co-founder of MoveOn.org. Maybe you remember them. They were in the news for several things a few years ago. And um, she was also a founder of LivingRoomConversations.org, which is one of the organizations that that, uh, actually made this event happen. Um, on a regular basis, uh, Living Room Conversations discusses about controversial topics like this one, climate change. And they try to create productive dialogue by listening to different perspectives rather than creating divisions from those different perspectives. So in giving her position on climate change, she, she makes it clear that she's not a scientist. And then she says this. I have some you know, people that I have huge respect for that have convinced me that climate change is a risk that, in fact, terrifies me. And I have friends I have huge respect for that are also you know, living in fear on some level. And I've seen the dynamics in the country and seen this fight going on that seems very not productive and, in fact, divisive. And so my... My position is we have to find a way to reach the end goal of us all being able to have a good future. So I think she has an opinion that's really similar to many people out there um, who don't deny climate change, but they're not, you know, firsthand researchers. Um, her, her opinion is shaped by trusted, well-respected individuals who not know much more about the topic. So, yeah, since... since uh, since many of us are not first-hand researchers like Dr. Davies, we need to decide carefully who our mentors are. Then we had Derek Monson, and he's the director of public policy at the Sutherland Institute. So if you look up Sutherland Institute on Wikipedia, this is what the, this is what you'll get. Sutherland Institute is a conservative public policy think tank located in Salt Lake City, Utah. The Sutherland Institute believes that families, private initiatives, voluntary associations, churches, and businesses are better than the government at solving problems. So here's his position. I think oftentimes um, we're asking the wrong questions uh, whenever we talk about this issue, um, looking at the wrong things. So you know, oftentimes we're, we're focusing on things like uh, uh, you know, what does the science say, what is, is it trustworthy, um, uh, who's getting money from whom, whatever side of the issue they may be on. And I just don't think that's the kind of thing that most average people really care about. And we're not talking on that level most times with people, uh, especially with kind of the average working person whose primary concerns are things like putting food on the table, getting a better job, making sure their child has the education that they really want them to have. And uh, so we're not really, we're speaking in a disconnected way with someone whose concerns are focused there. And by focusing there, then I think we can actually get to things that people care about in ways that then allow for practical solutions to come out because we're talking about things that everybody can agree on and things that everybody wants, common aspirations and common goals. 
So, so I kind of felt like I need to read between the lines of what he actually said here. So, but if I were to take a stab at what he was actually saying, um, he'd probably be one to say, if we can't all agree on the science of climate change and what the media is saying about that, then let's focus on something that we all can, can agree on closer to home, like clean air and other stuff like that, stuff that affects families on a daily basis. Then we have George Handley. He's a professor who teaches into... Uh, interdisciplinary humanities at BYU. And BYU is a church school owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, He's also written several essays that explore um, environmental ethics and LDS belief. Here's what he had to say. I am coming at climate change as a non-scientist, a humanities professor, but I've read... um, the science as uh, carefully as I can. I've, I've uh, researched what the National Academy of Sciences has published on the issue, and I read Scientific American and National Geographic, and I, I try to identify reliable s- sources of information about the science, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm sort of, I, Rob sort of summarized that science, and I would say that's what I um, accept as the reality that human beings are emitting carbon into the atmosphere at a rate that is uh, causing unnatural or at least um, uh, dangerous levels of warming across the planet. And and I have read enough to understand that that's affecting everything from ocean temperatures, acidification of the ocean, uh, glacial retreat, and um, uh, animal migration patterns, and so on and so forth. And as a religious person, I'm LDS, I, I feel a special uh, degree of concern for the most vulnerable in society, and I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest that the populations in the world right now that are the most poor um, tend to live in areas where they're the most vulnerable to the effects of climate change, so as a Christian that that deeply concerns me. And it concerns me also uh, in terms of future generations, I feel that I have a moral obligation to live for future generations to be um, working for their their benefit to pass on a world that is uh, better than the one that I inherited. And so that's, that's a deep foundation for me, um, both as a, a religious person and as a humanities person. Then we have Allison Jones. She has a bachelor's in environmental studies and her master's is in conservation biology. So she's worked with uh, consultant firms in Utah and different states where she's completed habitat analysis on endangered species. Here's what she had to say. And for me, as a biologist, I'll kind of echo what um, Rob was saying. For me, my position on climate change is really couched in the scientific consensus of of the majority of scientists who study climate change. In your field, you're looking at the data on the shrinking of the ice caps and the ocean currents and temperatures over time. In my field, we're looking at the the data that we see in in nature and with the the thousands of species that share this fragile planet with us. And uh, that's data that's telling us right now that these, these other species on our planet are already suffering impacts of the changing climate. And already many on a pathway to extinction. And with the, the models that are projecting the, the future for nature on our planet, we are looking at, in the next few decades, 
a crisis that will surpass our last crisis for wildlife on this planet, or the current crisis of habitat fragmentation and destruction and de degradation that comes with a growing human population. Now the climate change crisis will eclipse that in terms of um, modeled species predictions coming down the pike, and in fact, could become the sixth greatest extinction event in the history of our planet. So the, the question becomes, what to do? So she said the question is, what do we actually do about it? Well, that, that, that's a good question. Um, they didn't completely answer it, um, they, but they did, you know, address many of the big key points. So after this introductory round, they, they can continue to have a mild debate on how, you know, on things like how fast do we phase out coal or if should, should we, you know, phase it out quickly? Um, what's the practicality of renewable energy? And uh, where do we focus our resources on actually taking care of climate change? But things really got interesting when we kind of went a different direction. It was really interesting when we got questions from the audience. So here's a question from the audience. Quote, I am frustrated that this has become a liberal versus, versus conservative issue in our nation. How do we get past this in our state and nation? No one wants to listen to each other. So here's what George Hanley, the the BYU humani humanities uh, professor, this is what he had to say. There's a history um, behind this problem, and that is uh, evident uh, mostly at about the time of Reagan's administration prior to the 1980s. Environmentalism was, uh, was more bipartisan than it is now. And so there's an evolution of the parties over the last uh, 30, 40 years that um, has sort of made this become more of a partisan issue. And it's very, very sad. It's one of the most serious problems we have. So basically, what was once an issue about environment has evolved into a political issue, and it wasn't always that way. So this is where the conversation shifted from addressing climate change to what is arguably the bigger issue, which is political climate change. Or, you know, like I said before, how politics has made our speaking environment more polarized, more toxic, um, so much that when we talk, we struggle for clean air. <laughs> so when it comes to the change in our political climate um, that has increased over the years, it's undeniable. This political environment is warming. It's not at a natural rate. And it is a result of our own actions. So how do we reverse political climate change? So let's hear what Dr. Rob Davies, um, the professor in the climate department at USU, let's hear what he has to say about political climate change. And of course, as a scientist, he loves to use big words like protective cognition. You'll see what I mean. Let's hear it. You're all susceptible to these things of, of what's called protective cognition, where you're just trying to, I, I'm conservative, therefore I know I'm not supposed to believe this, or I'm liberal, therefore I know I'm supposed to. You know, from those sorts of things, I would say that where I choose to spend my time now is not so much in, uh, in, in uh, conversion. The polling shows quite clearly that more than enough people in this strong majority of people in this country think that this is a problem to some degree. I, I personally think the name of the game at this point is not 
trying to move immovable objects. It's in trying to, to convince those that already think we have a problem to start behaving like it. And so I, I personally think that's where the name of the game is. That doesn't mean that I don't think we should be engaging um, people who don't agree. I just don't think that it's it, the returns are that high at this point because the polarization is so, is so hard. So principle number one for reversing political climate change. Don't be so obsessed with converting your listener to your position, especially when you're with people who you can see that they are clearly, quote-unquote, immovable objects. And you all know who I'm talking about. You're one relative or several relatives that, yeah, just won't budge. Not worth the energy. Now let's hear Laura Nelson. Um, she's the energy advisor for uh, Governor Herbert. She said this. Um, yes, I, I, I want to just say I don't think the labels really help to drive uh, the conversation. I think that um, they're really impediments to coming together and being creative and finding solutions. So I just think that it's important to just accept that we're all human. We come from different conditions. We have different uh, beliefs based on um, those conditions and really to continue to try to find uh, paths where we, we work together. And I think when we, when we do that, that we really have a better world. Principle number two of reversing political climate change. The Democrat-Republican label can be a serious impediment if we're trying to solve real problems. Just focus on the freaking issue. That's takeaway. Then Allison Jones, the one who's the biologist, she said this. I was really struck last night in our discussion, Bob, that something that, that you said that's maybe been one of the reasons that we are getting more polarized on this issue today versus the early days is that in the early days there were only so many sources of news in our country, like you said. It was you, right? Yeah. There was ABC, NBC, NBC, CBS, Walter Cronkite. Yeah. And that was it. And today there's just like a million different sources of social media and everything in between. And, and this is where there's the danger of these you know, alternative facts you know, creeping in and, and taking hold. Principle number three of reversing political climate change. Consider where you're getting your info. Are your political positions shaped by an inflamed Facebook post, cable news, talk radio, un uninformed? <laughs> I thought I'd sneak that in there. Well, I hope it is influenced by un uninformed. Um, so, by the way, um, when some of these uh, panelists were asked uh, where they actually get their opinions, what sources they, they use, um, especially the non-scientists, they all kind of pointed to the same place. Um, there's something called the National Academy of Science, and they have a lot of information of what science has published on this. And not all science um, is saying the exact same thing. Um, but uh, like what Dr. Davies said, um, the big issues they really do um, agree on. So then we have Derek Monson, the guy from the Sutherland Institute. He said this about political climate change. What you can, but what you can do is if you have people of diverse thinking in your kind of network, in your circle, you can go talk to them about those things. And they'll probably see things in ways you can't uh, because they have different experiences, different sources. They're going to point to things that 
that because of, of our particular viewpoint or our set of values, our life experience, that are going to, I think, point things out to us to say, oh yeah, that's why that's false. Uh, or, oh yeah, that's why that's true. That makes a lot of sense. Because if people from completely different perspectives can arrive at the same conclusion, this is true, that says a lot. And and I say you're not going to get it from the internet, from TV, and from any other kind of source. Uh, I think you have to get it from real people. So principle four of reversing political climate change, accept the fact that you can actually learn something insightful from people from different backgrounds, even when you know, you tend to disagree with these people. You really can actually learn something from them. So then there's another interesting question from the audience. Check this out. They said, what if your perspective on climate change is wrong? So let's see how these guys handle it. So we'll start with Allison Jones. So Allison Jones, in all your biology and habitat research, what if you were wrong? I've just got to start with that slide I told you guys about um, last night in our discussion. There was a, a talk at the, the U last week on climate change, and the, the woman put up a, a slide in her PowerPoint that was a, a cartoon, and it was a climate change conference, and there was a presenter on stage, and in his slideshow behind him was a chart of you know all the, the good things we can do to combat global warming, uh, electric vehicles, and solar energy, and wind energy, and less pollution, and cleaner communities, and healthy families, and et cetera, et cetera. And one guy in the audience turns to the, the other fellow next to him and says, but what if climate change is all a hoax and we're making the world a better place for nothing? <laughs> and so to me, it's the precautionary principle, you know? It's just that simple. George Hanley, what if you were wrong and all those students in your humanities class were also misled based on your teaching? This will sound like a snarky answer to the question, but I do think I'm, I'm or a sarcastic answer to the question, but I do think I'm likely to be wrong about most everything. Uh, that, that's part of my philosophy of life, and I believe that um, I can't know everything. So I have to live with a certain degree of ignorance and uncertainty about lots of things. I, I really believe in being conservative and cautious and careful about that path of wisdom rather than assuming I know everything and, and know it perfectly well. Um, and, and I think, you know, maybe picking up on Allison's point, I mean, one of the things that I think is really moving and challenging about climate change is that it's asking us to think in, in ethical terms that really reach much farther beyond our normal circle of responsibility, because we're asked to think about future generations in ways we've never been asked to before. We're asked to think about our relationship to other parts of the globe in ways that we've never previously conceived in human history. And so if, if it all turns out to be uh, a waste of our time, I don't think that'll be the, the case, but if it does, we will have developed a stronger community, a stronger sense of planetary human family, and we'll have, we'll have created a better world as a result. So I don't, I don't see the downside. Joan Blades, what if all your efforts to talk about climate change and your living room conversations thing were all wrong? If we are in good relationships with each other and working together, we can actually make things happen that need to happen. But if I'm 
you know, wrong that we need to do it for climate change, we still have a lot of nice new friends, which is <laughs> awesome, and we can do a better job solving other problems together, because I believe in collaborative problem solving. Dr. Robert Davies, what if your climate research and your scientific community were all wrong? I just have a, one word, and I, I think I speak for just about all of my colleagues and I, if I'm wrong about climate change. Great. <laughs> uh, but now I, I'm going to ruin it. And, um, and, and, and not surprisingly for anyone who, who has a physicist in their, in their life, um, take the exact opposite path of George's humble uh, <laughs> uh, answer and say, uh, at this stage, there is no, absolutely no reason to believe that this is wrong. If, if, if you're acting on rational, observable, verifiable, reproducible evidence uh, in enormous volume, uh, I certainly hope we're wrong. There's no reason at this point, from my perspective, to believe that's true. So this Climate Conversations meeting really was an attempt to solve the issue of climate change, but just to get a healthy dialogue going on on both sides. I mean, it all starts in our everyday conversations over the dinner table, at work, among friends, with our Aunt Bertha. Um, And hopefully politicians can get the hint that angry dialogue is not the best way to solve problems. So I'm going to go against President Trump on this one. Political climate change is not a hoax. And it's up to us to reverse it. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to Ununinformed in your podcast app. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and all the big podcast hubs. Our music is provided with permission from DD Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and this is Ununinformed. Thanks, everybody.